giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben, and my guest today is Spencer Fry. Hey, Spencer. Hey. How's it going? Going well. Thanks Good. for having me. Yeah, totally. When we talked at MicroConf, you told me a kind of awesome story about Typefrag. Mm-hmm. And that was when I started to think, like, this would be a good podcast guest. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if maybe you could, like, recount some of that. Yeah, sure. So going back in time, yeah. um, so Typefry, I guess I started that in 2002. Okay. 2002, 2003. So there's two parts of that story. One, Typefrag was, like, basically the first voice over IP company for computer game players. So, like, actually like building a product and a service for that market other than just like selling them games. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like the first unique service now. And now you've got like Twitch and all these other ones that are doing a lot of cool things. But my uh, my business partner and I met freshman year in like a CS class. Kind of kept in touch. So I like transferred to Yale from Case Western Reserve University and we sort of kept in touch. And we, just, we were both like big Counter-Strike players. Yep. And uh, we are just like, okay, what can we do with this community? And like, I played how, a lot of Counter-Strike like, back in out? the day, by the way. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. I spent a lot of hours on DE Dust and such. Oh, yeah. And DE Dust 2. Oh, yeah. And all those ones. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so we were like, started working on this product uh, together. We basically released it in three months. And we had like new customers in the first week. Basically, it was like a dead zone. And my partner was like, all right, let's wrap this up. And the product was <laughs> you wanted to give people the ability to speak real time using microphones while playing. Yeah, exactly. So like the team in general could talk to each other, but also they could hang out outside the game, which was something that like mm. was a pattern that we started seeing. So we thought it would just be for like in-game communication, but then like someone would come home and while they were like doing their homework, they would continue to like talk to their friends who were playing. Hmm. So we saw like both sides to it. So yeah, we started the company and like a week week after we launched it, we got like new customers and then one started to trickle in and then a second one trickled in the next day and it just started to like massively balloon from, I think it was March uh, 2013 and by like July we were doing $140,000 a month in MRR. Wow. So it's like it crazy ramp. 2003, not 2013. 2003, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. But so <laughs> I'm you, so old. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So three months in, you're, you're 100K MRR? Yeah, like over that. And um, that's bananas. Well, I must have been 19 or I just turned 20. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Turns out you made something people wanted. Yep, exactly. And, it, and it's actually a funny thing because we're on a podcast right now, but we were actually the first, as far as I know, to sponsor podcasts. Huh. I don't know if anyone else was sponsoring podcasts in 2003, but there were some like gaming podcasts that were just kind of like starting up, yep. talking about like Counter Strike and other kind of like esports, which was really new. And we basically we didn't even pay them; it was crazy. We just gave them free service, wow. and in exchange, they like did like really professional 30 second ad rolls and threw us threw us on the beginning of their shows. It was crazy. Wow, was that yeah. a source of a lot of your growth in those days? Yeah, so that combined with, um, we were also really like one of the first to sponsor professional teams. Mm, mm-hmm. And again, with no cash, because <laughs> they wow. weren't making cash back then. We were just giving our service away for free to these teams. And then this was all through IRC back in the day. And so they would advertise us in like the title of their channel, or the subject, or title. I forget how IRC does it. Yeah, yeah. Um, they'd advertise us there and on our website, and then all their like gaming fans um, we're like, oh, like complexity uses um, Typefrag, like we should use them, use them too. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like IRC combined with the sponsorships, combined with World of Warcraft coming out later that year, I think mm. it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of like ballooned art growth. 
Huh. I wonder if part of the reason you had so much success in those channels is that they were new, like people weren't advertising in podcasts. So in the beginning, everyone's like, oh, a podcast advertisement. What is this? This is unique. Yeah, that. And I mean, I think just like the influencer stuff back then too, which uh-huh. is like all the rage now in 2017, but right. people didn't think these guys were being bought, right? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, oh, like complexity uses uh, type frag, so we should use them. So Gotcha. Huh. So what was it like in those three months when you when you blew up? Were the servers catching fire and falling over? Yeah, it was crazy. Um, so we had dedicated machines, like co-located. Uh-huh. I think we started in like New York um, with our first few servers, and then we started kind of expanding across the U.S. And then we started going to Europe, where else like Asia, just like everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Were you actually going into data centers and, and racking no. machines? No. Okay. No. Well, I mean, a little bit of that. Like we started having some relationships with. Um, at least like our local, like New York City data centers. I was actually living in Connecticut because I was still in college, but I'd go down to New York City and like meet the people that were doing it for us. So you're 19 years old and the business is exploding and you're probably making more money than you ever have. Oh yeah. What did it feel like? (laughs) Um, Surreal, actually. I mean, it's the reason I didn't graduate as a computer science major. Uh I ended up getting a psychology degree because I just couldn't handle the workload. Um, (laughs) Right, because the business was too much work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought about dropping out, but both of my parents were uh, college professors, and they were basically like, yeah, don't do this. <laughs> they were horrified by the idea. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I mean, our even though we were doing like 140 MRR, like our expenses were super high, though, like because the cost of servers back then. So like out of that, we were probably only clearing like 35%-ish. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we, we hired a few people. We had a freelance designer that was living in um, England. And then a couple of friends of mine graduated uh, college and uh, hired them as well, nice. like on the tech side. Um, so we had like a little five-person company. That sounds pretty fun. Yeah, it was a blast. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like what an awesome win for your first thing out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great. Like I worked on that for about four years. And then the other like interesting part of the story is like how it all collapsed. Not in the sense of the business, just like my relationship with my co-founder and um, my kind of role in the company. So we were both like equal 50-50 founders. And I guess at one point, four years in, you sort of like, I talk about this a lot. And this is one of the reasons why I'm a solo founder now, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, 15 years later, is that it's really hard to keep that relationship going with your co-founder because by like year three or four, you sort of have different visions of like where the company is going to go. And he and I both had, you know, different visions. And so I, we had this really, really crappy legal agreement that a Yale law school student drafted for us that said at any time, um, one of us could buy the other one out. Uh-huh. Uh, so I hadn't heard from him for a couple of weeks. He sort of went MIA and I was like, Hey, um, talked to a lawyer and I was like, I'm going to buy this guy out. And so we like drafted a letter and sent him a letter. And then that started like a three month long buyout process where basically the terms of our agreement were that the other person had to actually agree to the price or suggest a new price in 24 hours. Right. That they would instead buy you out at. Yeah. And it had to go up in increments. I think it was like $10,000. Okay. Um, So yeah. So like over 90 days, this kind of went back and forth, back and forth. And I didn't know any like professional investors at that point. So I got some family friends to basically back me up to a certain point. Yep. And then uh, it got to like a number where they were like, I don't know if we're like comfortable going like much more than this. And so I kind of had to accept. Gotcha. Um, so, so, on Christmas Day, actually. Oh, yeah. Were <laughs> yeah. you like, I mean, was that, did you feel crushed at that point or were you like i just made i just took a bunch of money out of the company that's kind of cool too like how did you feel i was like static in a way because my my thinking at the time was like 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this money and I'm going to go start at a competitor. Mm. That was my thinking. That's not what happened. Because <laughs> so I was doing like all the marketing and the design and um, I had all the customer relationships yep. and all the sponsor relationships. So I was just like, all right, well, I'm just going to take this cash and I'm going to build out a better business with the same structure uh-huh. and then just like use all those relationships because there was nothing in the agreement that said I couldn't do that. But I went a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> how, how come? Uh, this, so this was like January, um, I think it was six months after I graduated, I guess. And um, I got like a good opportunity to start Carbon Made, which ended up being even more successful. So mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, that yeah. sounds like a, a perfect segue. Yeah, yeah. So what is Carbon Made? Carbon Made is, um, is and was, well, was the first online portfolio. Mm-hmm. So started in 2005. So it started a couple of years before I joined the company, but it wasn't really a company at that point. It was sort of like a side gig mm-hmm. of a designer developer pair mm-hmm. um, out of Chicago. And... Um, I actually hired them to do basically the type frag competitor to like work with their agency. And then we started working together on that for about three months. And then they were like, hey, do you want to join our agency and become like a one third partner? Hmm. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. Hmm. Um, (laughs) It sounds like fun. And they also had this little asset carbon made. And then basically what happened is when I joined them, I took over to run carbon made and basically turn it into a business. And they were still sort of doing contract work. And then eventually we got enough money coming in through Carmi that they were able to uh, work on it full time with me. Hmm. Do you remember what the, the revenue is when you started, when you took it over? Uh, like a thousand a month. Okay. So it's just, yeah. just getting going. Yeah, yeah. It was basically Dave, the co-founder of Carmid. He had built Carmid for his own online portfolio. And some of his buddies were like, hey, I want that too. And so he like added like account creation and stuff. And mm-hmm. it kind of sat stagnant for about two years. Uh-huh. Then I joined and started to build it out to like a real thing. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Do you remember what the first things you did when you started working on it for real? Yeah, I think the first thing I did was like respond and um, try to categorize the like six months of neglected customer support emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was like day one. That seems to be a, a theme with you. Yeah. You I seem to care a lot about support. customer support. Yeah. It's kind of, I don't know why. I mean, I do know why, but like yeah, I love it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was talking to my uh, normal co-host, Derek, yeah. uh, and we were discussing things like there are a number of places that you can invest in that seem to have an outsized impact on how your customers view you. Uh-huh. And customer support feels like one of those things. Like when you have really fast, really good customer support, it just just changes someone's relationship to your company, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm even nervous now, like doing this podcast, knowing that like someone could be talking to us on live chat, and I'm not there. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my girlfriend hates it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting that you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, so we're we're like four people full time, and then we have a part time person we work with, and at least um, with Coach, we're about two and a half years old now. Mm-hmm. I just still like having that first touch with the customer because I also had the product, so just getting to know like their needs and wants, and being the person that does all the demos with them you know, answers all their live support questions just allows me to help prioritize the roadmap. Uh-huh. Got, yeah, it totally makes yeah. sense. So you cleared up the customer support queue. Yeah. And help people out. And, and then what? So we then started kind of like basically from that, we're able to kind of turn a lot of those people into paying customers. So Carbon Made was a freemium product. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bunch of things that they like wanted was like help, you know, like just like helping them put up their portfolio like you know we started building out like support docs we started to like clean up the pages externally so like on the marketing site but also just like internally 
adding more features um, and just being responsive, honestly, is like what a lot of customers want in terms of like the difference between like trying a product and actually paying for it. Mm. So that helps a ton. And then as soon as uh, we were able to sort of start earning more money, those at Jason and Dave were able to come on full time and, and really start to like build out the, the feature set. Nice. And we were also the first. So uh, <laughs> just so like the interesting thing, too, is like with Typefrag, one of the first, if not the first, for podcast um, sponsorship and like IRC stuff. Mm-hmm. But with Carbon Made, we were because we were the first online portfolio. We were the actual like first search term for in Google for like online portfolio mm. and free online portfolio. And I think if you look today, we still are mm-hmm. ten years later, and that was just like a massive source of traffic for us. Yeah, I imagine. Huh. Yeah. Were the lessons from Typefrag like useful in Carbon Made, or were they like really different businesses? I mean, I think. They were like, if I string together the four startups I've been involved with, Mm -hmm. the biggest carryovers, I guess, are how you deal with product and team and customer relationship stuff. I think that's basically everything that you're able to actually take over. Like marketing is always different. Mm -hmm. Copy and design tend to be different from like a visual standpoint, but like product learnings and like how to build product and like what goes into a sprint and like how to work with the team, like all that stuff is what I take with me. Hmm. How do you build product? How do you make a good product? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> number one, talk to your users. <laughs> Controversial. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, there's the, like, just go build it, and then there's the, just go build it, get feedback, and then go just build it again, mm. which is kind of what we do more, uh, at least at Coach. Mm-hmm. You know, if you talk to our investors, so my first three companies were all bootstrap, but this one, we actually raised money. Mm-hmm. If you talk to our investors, they say, like, you guys are the fastest at building product in all of our portfolio companies. Huh. And that's like something. So we must be doing something right. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're just two engineers and a designer and myself. But the way that we kind of do it is we start with uh, talking to customers, obviously, but we start with like designing the like most ideal use case. And then we just like tear that apart into like, how can we do individual sprints from that? So we really like build off of layers. Hmm. So you come up with a like a whole the whole flow sort of thing, or or like what a what a fully fleshed out feature will look like, and then you figure out how to break it down from there. Yeah, it's so like and a good example is um, our dashboard right now. Mm-hmm. So we're actually redesigning the whole. We've actually redesigned the whole dashboard, but we're building it out in three sprints. So we started with designing what we would love it to be eventually, mm-hmm. and then we we're like, okay, well, like we're obviously not going to build that first because. That would be hard. Um, <laughs> so we like strip that back down into like what is its what's the most necessary feature set that we can build off of. Then we'll design that out, and then we'll implement that. And then we usually will do another round of like another in between mm-hmm. uh, the ideal case and like the first version. So mm-hmm. we usually do think most things in like three sprints. And are you actually shipping the stuff, the intermediate stuff, all the way like out to production? Yep. Okay. Yeah, always. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But I think like in terms of design, so like we're a very product focused design company. Mm-hmm. If you only think in terms of like next iterations, maybe some of the fun things you might think of, like it'll get lost because mm-hmm. you won't have like that exploratory, um, like what is the like ideal experience? Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So you, you could kind of lose the interesting things from the bigger picture if you're, if you're being purely iterative. Yeah, exactly. Like you might just add that, tweak that button or like add that, you know, one small piece of polish. Whereas like, if you look at it from a fully designed out flesh point of view, it's like, oh, wow, that's like actually really cool. Like, how do we get there? Hmm. You said you're a product focused company or design focused company. Yeah. What does that yeah. mean? Like, what, what would it look like if I weren't that? Uh, I guess um, it would mean that you uh, outsource your design and uh, don't think about it 
everything from like a product point of view um, and think of it more as like what features do we need? Hmm. So like for example, I was actually talking to a customer earlier today who like really wanted us to add subscriptions as a payment method. Uh-huh. And you know, you could just like add that feature. Um, but what we do is we actually like put up a Trello card. We sort of discuss that whole thing. We come up with a bunch of use cases, like how our customers would actually want to use subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And then we think about, all right, like how does that fit into our product? How does that fit in our vision mm. um, before just like going and building? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then we'll design it fully um, with like high fidelity mockups. Yeah, it's, that sounds good to me. Like trying to keep <laughs> a cohesive view of the whole product Yeah, and making yeah. sure that the new things slot in nicely with that. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's dangerous to just like build features. And uh, I think like we've definitely done that in our history and we try like really hard not to do it. But when you have like a bunch of people clamoring for something, right. it's hard not to just be like, all right, this weekend we're just going to bust this thing out. Yeah. Well, I can say uh, having signed up for Coach that it, it does have a cohesive feel to it. So Good. it seems to be working. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we I think we're at just past 5,300 total signups. We don't publicly talk about like our revenue, but... You can kind of infer from like a freemium product. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Signups, not yeah. customers. Yes. Signups, not customers. Gotcha. Cool. So you said that people, your investors comment that you're the fastest at, mm-hmm. at uh, improving on the product. What are your guesses as to why that's true? A couple of things. Um, one of the guys I actually worked with before at Carbon Made. So he was, he's like a product designer and developer. And he and I just have like a great rapport. Mm. Yeah. Actually, you might have met him at MicroConf. So Kyle? Kyle. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so we've worked together before, which is awesome. And then um, he's super talented. And I think he's not just an engineer, so he's also a designer. So that helps a lot too. Mm. So he's also really like product focused. And he's very much the like Spencer, like let's not do that whole thing. Like let's mm. make it smaller. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's thinking about it from like the tech side as well. Mm-hmm. And then our other engineer, Jamie, is just like, according to Kyle, who's worked with a ton of developers, like it's just the best developers he's ever worked with. Mm. And to me too, like both of those guys are just like amazing. Mm. Um, those two guys too, like Jamie also is always thinking about it from like a product point of view too. Mm-hmm. So when he's like engineering like a feature like ConvertKit integration or Zapier integration or something like that, he's also thinking about like, how can I make this like the least obtrusive for our customers? So he's not just going and building the thing. Mm-hmm. So I think just like that all taken together makes us work fast yeah is a uh, coach a rails app it is yeah gotcha. yeah okay cool well, you just painted a, a bullseye on the for recruiters on both your uh, ruby developers <laughs> so they're, they're actually really bad <laughs> <laughs> there you go perfect yeah um no but they're loyal <laughs> yeah yeah no. I'm have we talked about fresh books listener i know we have i have you've listened why because you, you gotta do invoices you got to make an invoice, you got to send it, you got to get paid. You got to keep the lights on is the thing. You're doing great work. You care about the work. You care about the client. But at the end of the day, you're like, show me that paper because I got mouths to feed, even if it's only my mouth. So you got to send an invoice and you print it and you mail it with a stamp because that is how business gets done. Mailing checks. Do people mail checks still? I think that happens. It's, it's insane at FreshBooks. If you want to send a professional invoice, boom, 30 seconds later, done. Want to get paid online? Sure. You can get paid up to four days faster. You can People can give you a credit card, just pay you when you've done some wonderful work for them. And receipts. Can we talk about receipts? We could, but we're not going to. We're going to talk about FreshBooks and why they're awesome. It's because you need invoices. You need to send them to your customers. You need to get paid and you need to have that be a good experience because you're profesh and you care about your profession appearance, and that is why 
you should use FreshBooks. Have I convinced you? You know what? Even if I haven't convinced you, I need you to go to freshbooks.com slash giant robots and enter the giant robots code, which is giant robots in the how did you hear about us section. And you're going to get a free trial. So even if you're like, this dude sounds crazy. He has not convinced me, but I do need to send some invoices. It is a known fact that I do need to send some invoices. Then you can do that and you can do it for free because it's unrestricted. 30 day unrestricted free trial. That's generous. FreshBooks, you got a whole month. That is nice of them. So thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this show. So I having signed up for Coach and mm-hmm. gone through some stuff and played around with it, the UI feels so helpful. Good. It's like <laughs> there's just a consistent theme of guidance, I guess, where yeah. it's like I was just sort of playing around with it and making things and t- t- testing stuff. And I was like, all right, you just did A. Now, the next thing you should probably do is B and C. And by the way, here's our guide for B, and here's another guide about B, and here's a blog post we wrote about C, and there's just a lot of support. And it feels very much like it's it's supportive, and also, I think a lot of that, I'm sure that's intentional, but I imagine a lot of it comes from the fact that your incentives are aligned so nicely with your users, Mm -hmm. where it's like the the better, like, you don't do well unless people sign up for Coach and then actually manage to sell digital products through the platform, right? Exactly. That's a good way for us to lower our churn. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Speaking of support, like right on the the sidebar, there's your face, and it says, yeah. "Message me to book a private session." Yeah, and I mean, that's that's I gotta imagine that's powerful. It's like, hey, the CEO wants to do a private coaching session with me on how to be successful on his yeah his product. I mean, people are like shocked. To be yeah, honest. they're like, "You're answering live chat." I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> like that's no problem." Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we definitely wanted to make sure that. We weren't just guiding them on how to like put their online course and digital download in our app, but mm-hmm. like actually like how they could be successful. Like as you mentioned, because if our customers do well, we do well. So mm-hmm. part of that started with um, just writing a lot of content on the subject and then just putting that content in the app. Because one thing I, I noticed, like there's this trend, well, obviously for everyone to blog as a company, but then they don't surface their articles at like relevant points, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're going to create an online course. Maybe the guide should be like relevant to the like add project button so that you can kind of learn how to do that, like what the best practices are. Totally. There does seem to be a bit of a trend. And I think this is kind of like a natural trap to fall into of doing a really nice job of educating someone as a prospect. Mm -hmm. And then when they become a customer, you kind of just like forget about it. It's like, oh, we got them. We got the credit card. Like now we're, we're done. Like if they need something, they'll email support and just kind of forget about that nurturing teaching step afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, we actually just redid our whole onboarding sequence to be all around teaching and demos and like webinars and sort of like guiding and help being helpful to our customers. But yeah, I mean, that's mainly for just new customers, but even within the app, like, yeah, with all the documentation, the blog posts, videos, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So I signed up and I didn't enter a credit card. Uh, So I'm, I'm a free person so far. How dare you? I know. <laughs> it was, I was feeling audacious. So when and how will you try to get me to actually pay for Coach? That's something we're thinking about a lot recently. So right now we have a free plan that's free forever. and is also like super, super generous. Mm. Uh, so we are likely moving to a 30-day free trial uh, and getting rid of the free plan. Mm-hmm. I've talked to like a lot of small SaaS businesses like us and how just like, terrible their free plan is from like a support point of view but also from like a conversion point of view mm-hmm. so i think it's definitely something we want to experiment with mm-hmm. in terms of like pricing models 
I mean, there's an advantage to free plans with a, with a product like Coach because the more people we have, the more like powered by Coach links there are in their footers of their storefronts. Mm. And it's kind of where we draw a lot of our traffic from. Mm. Um, so it's sort of like not sure what I want to do there yet. Yeah. But in terms of like how we're going to upsell you, like there are definitely a lot of features that are locked down in Coach, like custom domains, um, mm. PayPal support, trip email marketing, like those sorts of things. And there's big like upsell buttons. Gotcha thinking about the the helpfulness of coach and also just like your approach to support it was interesting to see this kind of it felt like a, this feels like a theme to me of you having also read a bunch of stuff that you've written a bunch of your articles uh, and I have a quote which is I never turned down a request to help an entrepreneur who was thinking through a problem yeah and this just gives me one more check in my anecdote list of people that are successful often being really helpful mm-hmm like, yeah, I, I just keep not running into people that have done well, but are also jerks. Yeah, and not willing to help anybody else. I mean, I think that started when I moved to New York City in uh, 2006, and I joined like the New York Tech Meetup. Mm-hmm. And back then, there was like 25 people. Now it's like a 2,000 person thing that I never go to. Mm. Um, but back then, it was just like this really small, tight community of tech entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and everyone was just like so helpful because there was just so few of us. And that sort of just kind of stayed with me. You know, bigger guys like the guys who were starting meetup.com and stuff were there. I think uh, the Fog Creek guys were there. Like there were a lot of really smart people there and just Mm -hmm. everyone was helping everyone like driving beers and just like talking about like their products and stuff. And I don't know, New York has just sort of slowly grown into this bigger ecosystem. But Mm -hmm. throughout the entire time I've been here, at least, um, there's like a really good sense of like camaraderie here. Mm. And, and like reciprocity or, or like a, mm-hmm. a willingness to help to give back yeah or not even, I, guess, I guess not reciprocity almost the opposite which is like a willingness to yeah. help despite getting nothing out of it most likely yeah well i think what people get out of it is just like maybe more people will be in tech mm-hmm. throughout the last like 10 years mm-hmm. you know more investors would be here more like developers more designers more mm-hmm. entrepreneurs mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i have like a really tight group of friends that we meet up like every month and talk about entrepreneurial stuff and we each like um, we sometimes do on like retreats and we just talk about our problems and, you know, give helpful advice. Nice. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad the world is like that as yeah. opposed to the opposite. It's just a nice thing, I think. Yeah. It makes me happier to work in the, the industry and talk to people like that. Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of email too from folks from like all over the world that are, you know, maybe they read one of my blog posts or something and they always like ask me questions and they're always surprised that I like respond. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you emailed me. I'm going to respond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is a little surprising, but it's it's nice. Yeah. So I read a bunch of your stuff. I have just a couple scattered topics I want to talk about quickly. Sure. Uh, one is on the topic of being a solo founder. Mm-hmm. And you sort of touched on this, but I'm going to quote you, which is you said, starting a business solo or, or otherwise is hard, really hard. Having a co-founder is not going to be the tipping point to whether or not you're successful. Yeah. You still agree with that? I do. (laughs) So five years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, well, yeah, even five years ago, like Y Combinator and some of these other big, you know, accelerators were saying like, oh, you have to have a co-founder, you have to have a Mm co-founder. But if you actually like listen to what they're saying in the last year, and I think also the vibe that I'm hearing too, like the startup community is that it's way worse to have a bad co-founder than not to have a Mm co-founder. And the chance of like having a bad co-founder is honestly really, really high, in my opinion. And, you know, they might not be bad the first three months or the first year, but something eventually is going to happen where like that relationship is going to splinter hmm. or they're just going to stop showing up to work or like stop working at like a really high rate. So for me, it's like I know and trust myself. Like I know what I'm doing. I think I can get smart people to help me and I think I can like 
put together a really good team, but do I really need a co-founder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm struck as you're as you're talking about these things mm-hmm. by the fact that so many marriages end in divorce. Exactly. Like it's tough to. It, I mean, <laughs> I think just like any long-term relationship where the stakes are high and you both feel kind of locked in is yeah. probably going to be hard to make work. Yeah, no, totally. And it's honestly, I think like having a co-founder is harder than having a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever, mm-hmm. because you're at odds in a lot of ways because you're you know you're working for a common goal, but it's how do you get there. Whereas like with a relationship you're kind of more aligned in the sense that like you want to be happy and, and it's not about money too, you know? Mm-hmm. And like money is such a like negative driving force mm. that a lot of like co-founders kind of get into like quarrels around like, how are you going to spend the money? Like, yep. how are we going to build the products? And um, just tough. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like to me, the pros of a co, like one of the pros of a co-founder is that you have a bit more support for when yeah. things are, are bad. How do you deal with that when it's not, when you don't have that? So for me anyway, like I lean on my girlfriend and my friends and then I also lean on my team. I mean, I think if you have like a really open culture, which we do, um, and it's like hard not to at, mm-hmm. at four people, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I'll lean on my team and be like, oh man, like this sucks. Like we just had two customers churn today. Like what are we going to do, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you just, as long as you're not bottling it in, everything will be good. I, I think like having a, a co-founder is someone you can like lean on, but at the same time, it's like, if you lean on that person, that person's also upset, then like you just have two people upset, right? <laughs> it's right. not necessarily helping. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, fundraising. So you've done three bootstrap startups and yeah. now number four coach, you did raise funding. We did. Yeah. I basically put $30,000 of my own money into coach to start the thing. Uh-huh. So I wasn't drawing a salary. So like 30,000 plus no salary, <laughs> but I was working with a guy in Ireland who's actually now on our team, Jamie, to help build out the prototype. Hmm. And uh, for, I think it was like a three or four month long project. Was he full-time at that point? He was full-time contract. Okay. Yeah. So I basically bought a ball as ours okay. yep. <laughs> and I was like, all right, this is the thing we're going to do. How'd you find him? by the way. Twitter. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. Actually, Kyle, who is the guy who worked with at CarMade before, who also works at Coach, he was working on something else and um, wasn't ready to jump ship. So I was like, hey, do you know the, another like Rails engineer I could talk to? And he's like, I've been following this guy, Jamie, on Twitter. Maybe huh. you should reach out to him. Yeah. And uh, I did. <laughs> I love how that stuff works out. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, honestly, like that alone makes Twitter worth it for me. Yeah. It's so awesome. Huh. But yeah, so I put in my own money, basically paying him and then we got a prototype and it was pretty cool. We had a few customers and um, because New York City is such a tight knit community and because I've had some like historical success, some investors were like, oh, like I heard you're working on something like mm. and I see it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, yeah, it was like an awesome pre-seed venture fund in New York City called uh, Notation Capital. OK. Two guys there. You know, Betaworks. Uh, that sounds familiar. They're like a New York City incubator slash investor company. Both these guys worked there, but then they went off on their own. And they really liked what I was doing. They really liked kind of the direction of the product. And they were like, hey, like, we want to put a round together. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, like, in terms of, like, raising money, if capital becomes easy to you and you get good terms from good people, then there's, like, honestly, there's no reason not to raise. It's, It's the, like... I can't find investors, and if I do find investors, I'm going to get bad terms, and those investors are going to be bad. Those are the times like when you shouldn't raise money. Huh? Is there a chance that you haven't yet come across the reasons it's bad to raise because the company is rather young? I mean, we're two and a half years old now, okay. so uh, I think we've gone through most of the stages of like 
is this going to work out? Is this not going to work out? And we're now at the, like, this is definitely working out stage, which is awesome. Nice. Um, there were some, like, darker times probably in the first six months to a year when we were still figuring out, like, what the market is, what the product is. Uh-huh. But inve- again, yeah, we were too young, so the investors weren't, like, bugging us or nagging us too much. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. The, the trick there to managing investors is honestly is like to reach out to them before they reach out to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the whole deal because if they're like thinking, hmm, I haven't heard from Spencer in a while, like something must be wrong. But if you just like keep them consistently updated like every four to six weeks, mm-hmm. then they like, they kind of like let you do your thing. Mm-hmm. It probably also helps that you're being, you're succeeding. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> How did you, you said that you got some customers on that prototype that you, had, you mm-hmm. built. How did you get those customers? Oh man, that's a, that's a good story. So Probably like our first 300 to 500 customers were all people I found on Craigslist, which really? was crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because you started off focusing on tutors. Yeah. We were focusing more on tutors and teachers. And mm-hmm. then for bas- probably the first year of the company, mm-hmm. but then like they weren't really the best fit for us. But I basically found them on um, Craigslist advertising their services like, hey, I'm a tutor. You know, here's my hourly rate and here's my subject matter. And I just reached out to them and be like, Hey, like we're building a tool to let you like do like online courses and sell online products. Are you interested? And then basically just did a ton of Skype calls and person meetings with them. And so for the first six months, it was pretty much like all Craigslist. Interesting. What would you, what would happen in the, in the meetings when you actually met them? So I basically showed them products, showed them the prototype and be like, is this interesting to you? Um, because all these people had my, so my theory was like all these people have material that they're working from yeah. and they shouldn't have to meet in person to do all their tutoring sessions. Like they should mm-hmm. sell that content. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be like a perfect first market to go after. Like our whole plan was to open up to all markets, but that I was like, oh, I can find these people. Huh. Very um, cool. We actually, it was funny cause we actually tried to scale that out cause it was working really well in your city. So we hired a consultant guy to basically create accounts in all of the different cities in the U.S. that are like big tech hubs. And then like we got VPN networks because Craigslist checks your IP address. And we did like we started doing like scraping and, and auto posting to Craigslist. It was crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I like uh, the scrappiness of that initial yeah. approach, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Craigslist has so many people on it. And yeah. if you can get them to respond, I think we had like 10 to 15 percent response rate. Which is pretty high. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Perseverance. I'm going to quote you again. Yeah. Uh, I truly believe that the only thing that matters is perseverance. The quality of your design, code, product, etc. will all work themselves out in time as long as you keep learning and getting better. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked you agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, like so many entrepreneurs are asking me like, all right, what's the thing that, you know, how can I be successful? How can I be successful? And I'm, I just say like, keep at it. You know, like that's mm. the biggest thing. Like, where we started two and a half years ago is a lot different than where we are today. And a lot of people will say, um, oh, you know, pivoting, it's, uh, oh, how could you pivot? Like, that's such a cop out, blah, blah, blah. Not just us, but like pivoting has this bad, you know, like mojo or vibe mm. to it. Mm-hmm. But honestly, like that's all persistence is. It's like figuring out how this thing is eventually going to fit into a market and like how that product's going to play. So mm. for me, it's like, I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs and um, like I do a lot of advisement here in New York that are like three months into a project. They're like, ah, oh, we have no customers. Uh, we're going to shut down. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> you got to keep going. Like you got to continue to talk to people. You got to keep iterating the products and just keep at it. You know, hmm. I'm reading um, Creativity Inc. right now, hmm? which is by one of the founders of Pixar. And yeah. it's striking to me how much of the book is about the time in Pixar when they're close to dying. Yeah. It's like they're basically close to dying for like years. 
and trying a bunch of things that don't work. Like they were originally going to sell computers, like be a mm-hmm. hardware company. I'm a third of the way through the book and it's like, okay, we're just got to the part where we start making movies and like maybe the company is not going to blow up. And so I imagine this is a fairly common experience, which is that it feels like you're going to die for a long time, but if you can just hang on, you, you can eventually figure something out. Yeah. I mean, even the big companies that raise like a hundred million dollars, like they're also always close to dying at yeah. all times. You yeah. know? It's just this feeling as an entrepreneur that you have for even if your company is doing really well. It's crazy. Huh. So if you're, if you feel like you're close to that, like giving up point, what, what do you do? Keep going. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, like I'm super driven by customer acquisition. Like whenever we get a sale, no matter when it is, I get happy. Hmm at all times of the day. Like I could have been like the worst mood ever. We get a sale. I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's just like, that is the key point. We tell our customers that too. It's like, if you're selling a product on coach and you don't get a sale, like just get that sale. Like you can get a sale, just get one. And then as soon as you feel that vibe and that like feeling it's everything else becomes clearer. Yeah. You just kind of have to like keep getting them, but that's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Cool. I think that's a great place to stop actually. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, it was fun chatting. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to dive into some of that stuff because hearing some of those stories at MicroConf was awesome. And I'm glad I, uh, we get to share them. You too. Cool. Uh, so if people want to check out Coach, where do they go? Uh, so our website is withcoach.com. And also my email is spencer at withcoach.com too. And I'd like to say, um, if you email me, I will respond in five minutes. So feel free to test me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bold claim. You don't take any time off for like parties and social engagements and things like that? Uh, Are you that guy just, on the phone? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, hey, you're, you're trying I mean, to make you it work. To I, be, get right? it. I get sometimes it. Sometimes in the first few years anyway. Totally, yeah. I, I appreciate it. All right, man. Uh, good talking to you. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 236. Thanks for listening.